0: Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. I'm Dr. Kent. And I'm Randy Baker. And today we're going to travel all the way to my hometown, Melbourne, Australia, where we're going to talk to one of the most amazing ladies we've ever had as a guest.
1: We're also going to bump around in, I don't know, Norway, the UK, a bunch of other places.
0: Yeah, and Gertrude muchy I'm never going to pronounce that proper, but what an amazing woman. She's bounced around all over the place. She's got an amazing story about a Norwegian person she met. Yeah, put a box of tissues on your desk, you may need them.
1: Yeah, she talks about growing up in a segregated society. She talks about human nature, kindness, storytelling, family, love. It's all in
0: here. So uh, let's go and listen to our interview with Gertrude Muchy.
1: Nice to see you, Gertrude. Now, how do you say your name? Because I know I just said it terribly. <laughs> it's Gertrude. Gertrude. Correct. Nice. Uh, nice to meet you.
2: Wonderful to be here.
1: And your last name is Maché. Again, I. Maché. Oh, Maché. Okay, that wasn't correct. too bad.
2: Yes, you weren't too far off.
1: <laughs> so, and you're calling us from a completely different season, different time, different. Land, We love kind of just teleporting ourselves around the world. So it's lovely to talk with you today. And I think you're speaking to us from Randy's hometown.
2: I am indeed. Melbourne, Australia.
0: Yes, before we started the interview, uh, Gertrude and myself had a a small conversation about Melbourne and lockdowns. And Mm -hmm. she's stuck in Melbourne because Melbourne's on lockdown and so is New Zealand. So she can't even go home.
2: That's true. But I'm not complaining.
0: <laughs> Just
2: enjoying being
0: in the
1: moment. I love that. So if you were to describe your entire life in three words, which ones would you use?
2: Exhilarating, adventurous, purposeful.
1: I love that. And that the exhilarating in particular, I'm really curious about that one. So how is exhilarating sort of punctuated your life and work?
2: Well, I have had a life that plays out like a roller coaster ride with a lot of ups and downs, emotional, physical, living in multiple countries, and the world is a playing field. And I choose to play as much as I can and see the world. I've been to 54 countries. I don't know how many villages, cities towns in between.
1: And if you go back to the early days, how many places did you visit as a very, very young woman and a kid? So what what was your traveling practice when you were super young?
2: My father got a scholarship in 1967, the year that I was born, to study in London. So we lived in Clapham Common in London from the age of three until I was six. That was my first out-of-Africa experience, and I think that's where I got the wonder bug. I then went back to Rhodesia at the time, went to school, and when I graduated from high school, decided to go to London, back to London to study. And then I lived in Norway for a while, went back to Africa, lived in South Africa, tried to come to the United States just before 9-11 and ended up in magical Wellington, New Zealand for the last 21 years.
1: My goodness, I'm really curious about Norway. Norway seems like an outlier, but maybe it kind of fits right (laughs) in the path. Tell us about that one.
2: Well, I did not have a scholarship when I went to London. I was an African student with no money holding down three jobs, trying to pay my way through college. Three months after I got there, I got pregnant, lost all three jobs, was at the lowest point of my life, and made a decision to have my baby on my own. And through a magical series of coincidences, I had met a Norwegian woman who had come to Zimbabwe when I was 17, two years prior, and she had offered me a scholarship to become an actress. She had watched a play that I had written about the AIDS pandemic. I was conscientizing my community, people in rural parts of Zimbabwe, about the virus through a play. And she offered me a scholarship and I couldn't take the scholarship at the time because I was the breadwinner for my family. My dad had lost his job and I was supporting a family of five children and my parents. But she gave me a business card, which I found two years later in my purse when I was destitute down and out in London. And this amazing woman bought me an air ticket to go to Norway. And I was recruited to act in a musical production about Nelson Mandela and toured the whole of Europe with this play. I went to Denmark and Sweden and Switzerland and I was pregnant and having fun. So that is my Norwegian story. I'm still very connected to her. She's like my Norwegian mother. She actually officiated my second wedding in 2019 in Poland when I got married in Poland.
1: What's beautiful about that is that I've experienced some of this, and I know Randy has. In other countries, I've always been welcomed if I had an open mind, if I had an open heart, and if I maybe lied a little bit about who I was. <laughs> uh, I had to say I was Canadian and Swedish in some places. We can get into that some other time. But <laughs> but the amazing thing is that when you tell your own story and you're honest and human and open and I guess loving towards others, um, you, can, you, you often find that they do help you and they have in my life for sure. So, is that why you are so devoted to story and to the journeys of other women? Or how did you start this, this uh, newest venture?
2: My grandmother was a storyteller. She used to say that every single person you meet is a door into another world. And if you take time to find out who they are, there's magical things that can happen. And so I grew up in Rhodesia at a time when... We had racial segregation. Black and white people didn't mix. And my parents were able to put five children through private school, not because they had the money, but because they taught us how to make the money. So from the age of six, I was taught to knit and crochet and sew, and we would go into all of the white neighborhoods to sell our wares. We experienced racism like you cannot believe. People would open up their gates and let the dogs out on us. But my wow. mother was relentless in the, her whole way, way of being. She was the most amazing salesperson you would ever meet. I was the youngest of her two children at the time, so she would take me with her. And I remember one particular day, we hadn't sold a thing. I was hungry and thirsty. I just wanted to go home. And she stopped her bike in the middle of the street and she said to me, "Getrude, you have to remember two things when you go and sell. People have two choices. They can say yes or they can say no. You have to knock on the next door. That's where we'll make our sale. And like magic, we knocked on the next door. It was a beautiful colonial house and the lady of the house opened the door and I had never been in a white person's house before. She allowed us in, which was, again, very unusual. And she must have seen my sorry little face because she picked me up, put me on a chair. She went to the kitchen, came back with a slice of cake and a glass of juice. I still remember that piece of cake to this day. I'm 54 years old. And she bought everything in our basket. And as we were walking home, my mother said to me, Gertrude, there are two kinds of people in the world, good people and bad people. That woman was an amazing person. She didn't need to buy what we had, but she bought all of our wares because my mother told her that me and my sister were at the Dominican convent, which was the most expensive private school in the whole country, and that she wanted us to get a good education so we could get out of poverty. So I have grown up with that lens. I look for the goodness in people I share who I am. I love personal stories. I do believe that we do change the world through our stories, one person at a time.
0: I want to go back uh, just a little bit to Clapham Common. I lived in London <laughs> for five years, and I lived on Clapham Common. I, You're not serious. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Um,
2: oh wow!
0: And my my fondest memory was on my birthday in March of i guessing it was 1983 and London had a very unusual snowstorm and the common was completely blanketed with <laughs> snow. And I remember walking through it at midnight thinking just how amazing this place was. It sounds like your memories of, of London are, are mixed, some good, some bad. Yes. How do you take that mixture of memory and turn that into stories that can affect people's lives in a positive way?
2: Oh, my gosh. Um, you can imagine a young African girl going to London for the first time. I had a passion for theatre. And I couldn't afford to go and watch anything. Mm-hmm. But I would go to the theatres and just look at the posters and imagine myself being inside one of these, these theatres. My dad had a friend who took me to one um, particular performance. I was actually on stage with Gandalf. So Ian McCallum, he was acting in a play and he invited people to come on stage. And I had no fear. I jumped on stage and did a small skit with him. And so that was my only theatrical experience in London, unfortunately. But it inspired me to continue with my work, continue with my writing of plays, although I couldn't afford to actually attend any of it. So... Life is magical. It just depends on how you decide to look at it. Life is beautiful.
0: It is, and so you just reminded me of something that I have not <laughs> not thought of in many, many years. And so, when I was living in London, I went to a a magician's performance in the West End, and I was actually called up on stage. So I've actually performed <laughs> in the West End in London, and. Uh, <laughs> And it, it proves that I had to have nothing inside my head because the magician put blocks of wood through my head from one side to the other. So <laughs> clearly my brain doesn't exist.
2: Oh, how amazing. Yeah. I did go back to London years later, performed in the Palladium Theatre in London mm. as a speaker in front oh. of an audience of 5,000 people because I became a professional speaker for the last 21 years. That's what I've been doing.
1: So, Gertrude, your your story is so touching, and from you know uh, the my the bottom fell out of my stomach when you said that that um, people would tell their dogs to go after you, and the the extreme of that, and then this beautiful story of this woman who gave you cake and and mm-hmm. realized that that she could give you a great gift. How does that translate to the work you're doing now? Because obviously you've been a speaker, you've had some some great successes and probably some challenges through your career, and now you're helping other people uh, shape their own stories. So, what what does that look like for you, um, and what what are you working on now?
2: Right now, I have created a social impact movement called the Her Story Circle, and the vision is to connect one million women in the next twelve months. It was launched just before COVID as an in person event. I launched it in Las Vegas. I had 100 women come to Las Vegas. Second event was in Wellington, New Zealand, another 100 speakers. Sydney, Australia, beginning of 2020. I went to Norway. I came to London again. I went to New York. And then 15 events were canceled for the beginning of 2020 because of COVID. Came back through Brisbane, Hamilton, Auckland, 10 in person events a thousand women connected before everything stopped. And the vision is that every woman who steps up to share her story has to tell the story from a position of strength. So throughout my career, I have worked with widows, women who have lost their children, their husbands to the AIDS pandemic. I work with women who've been raped I'm part of an international group of women who advocate against female genital mutilation. And so there are a lot of sad stories in the world, but I don't think your story should define who you are. Your starting point is not going to be your end point. When I look at the village where I was born, sleeping on a grass mat with no electricity, no running water, and what I've managed to do with my life is incredible. So I coach the women who have never used their voices because I believe that if a woman knows how to use her voice, it transcends into her relationship with the man she's with, it ripples down to her children, it empowers her to get a job and just be confident to stand in her own skin. That's really important for me. I have been advocating for women's rights throughout my whole life And so it's a real passion project. I think this is my my legacy piece, if you like. And every woman who comes to the platform has to bring a social impact project that she supports in her community. We look for grassroots projects, those unsung heroes who do things for other people, not looking for any recognition, but just for the good. And we support them. So I curate all of the stories into a series of books. Every woman is published in an anthology with nine other women. So there's 10 women in every volume. And that's how we raise the money for social impact. We seed grassroots projects, women's cooperatives. I have helped thousands of women get out of poverty with very small amounts of money. And children, again, are my passion, making sure that children have a good education And now with COVID, we've extended it to the elderly, the homeless and the disabled as well.
0: So presumably you've taken your live events online um, during COVID and so it's, the movement is still moving forward just in a different format.
2: Last year was an interesting year. In March, I lost my mother-in-law in Poland. She died on the 29th of March. Three weeks later, my mother died. in Zimbabwe, and the very daughter who's just had a baby had a miscarriage, and I still don't know how I got through it, Mm. and this little baby that I have been holding for the last six weeks has come to heal a very broken heart Mm. because I had just lost my dad less than a year before, and so I had to stop reframe and grieve I then had a very strange dream (laughs) in November and in this dream I was brushing my teeth in the morning I spat into the sink and I looked up into the mirror and the person looking back at me wasn't me but my mother now I looked like a duplicate copy of my mom And in this dream, she was laughing. She was healthy. She was well. And she said to me, you see, baby, you see what I did? I made you look like me so that you remember I haven't gone anywhere. I am with you. I am in you. But you need to get up because if you're six feet above the ground, your job is not done. And I snapped out of a state of depression in November I put my platform online in December and had the first successful online event for 11 straight days. We were online for eight hours a day, 11 countries, 15 speakers every single day. Then we took it a step further in March for International Women's Month. We did a 31-day marathon, 30 countries. We went right around the world. And then now we're planning our next event in September, and we're scaling faster now online than we could have done with in-person events.
1: What a beautiful journey you've taken us on! <laughs> uh, in just a few minutes, I think we're, we are we are um, feeling right along with you. And I um, I I kind of want to ask you. I've been thinking lately um, about sort of wisdom. And I know, you know, you talk about Ubuntu and and other sort of, um, and and wisdom tradition and and storytelling. And I've been thinking lately, gosh, we have short lifespans. You know, we can get really smart, we can get really wise, but then we're gone, kind of. So, how do we keep that wisdom? How do we keep getting smarter as a people? How do we share it? How do we
2: pass it along? You pass it along through the stories. I believe that it is Our responsibility, every single human being, whatever knowledge you have, pass it on to somebody else. This life is very, very fleeting. Just before COVID, I was preparing a speech. I didn't have a title for it, but it was based on the Ubuntu philosophy. For those people who don't know what Ubuntu is, Ubuntu, Gamuntu, Gavantu, literally translated means a person is a person through other people. In Africa, we believe that we are reflections of each other. I can't exist without you, and you can't exist without me. And my grandmother used to say that the human race is like the human body, that if you cut your finger and you start to bleed, your white blood cells will rush to that point to heal it. And that's how we should be responding to each other in this world. The world's problems are not that big. Can you imagine if the 7 billion people on this planet heard that there's an earthquake in Haiti and we each went into our purses and gave a dollar? We could restore a country in a heartbeat in a blink of an eye. But we are all living in a state of not enoughness at the moment. It's all about me and you and not we. And COVID has come to remind us in a very strange way of this that we are literally right now a breath away from affecting and infecting each other. If one person in the world is not okay, we're all not okay. And I think that's going to be the biggest teaching that we are getting from this pandemic. The level of empathy that we're all experiencing because it's a shared experience. This is my second pandemic. I grew up in Africa in the 80s with the AIDS pandemic I have watched family members dying. My grandmother had 11 children, 34 grandchildren. 19 of my first cousins died of HIV-related diseases, oh,
1: my including
2: my youngest brother. Oh. Wow. So everything we're seeing right now, these mass graves, we experienced it 21 years ago in Africa. And when I moved to New Zealand 21 years ago, I would share this story of going to a funeral the week before I arrived. I had buried a cousin. And I went back to the same graveyard a week later with two bunches of flowers so I could leave flowers on the previous grave. And I had to walk two kilometers to find the previous grave. It felt like we were in the middle of a war and there was no war. And now this visual is there right across the globe the mass graves in New York, in Italy. It doesn't matter which country we're talking about right now. So we are having a shared experience. I don't think there's anyone who's going to come out of this pandemic unscathed without knowing somebody who's been affected or infected. So the pandemic has come to teach us. It's come to give us pause. For me, it reminded me that you put your family first Then you think of your community, your next door neighbor. How many times do we walk past each other and not just wave and say hello? A smile at a stranger in a supermarket can make somebody's day right now. Look at how the earth is breathing again. Carbon emission has been reduced. Animals are coming back into the urban cities. So there's some good that's going to come out of this. It looks like chaos, it looks like madness because we're in the middle of it right now. But I think in 5, 10, 15 years from now, it'll all make perfect sense.
0: I hope so, Gertrude. I was in Zimbabwe way back in 1985, and what struck me back then was the joy of the people, even though they were in in quite a a deep poverty. Um, There was a lot of poor people, I admire your your mother who gave you an opportunity by educating you and more I admire what you have done since then to stand up and be that voice, be that powerful woman out there really making waves in the world, doing something positive and not just playing around the edges. That's incredibly uh, powerful and incredibly a really good legacy that your mother passed to you that you're now sharing with the world. I think that is truly beautiful. So we'd like to keep these interviews relatively short. We've touched on a whole lot of things. <laughs> um, I would love to talk to you for a, a whole lot longer. But before we, before we end, who would you like to contact you and how can
2: they do that? Anyone who has a story. I believe we need to honour our stories. We will coach you, we will mentor you, we are creating safe spaces for you just to be heard. Our website is theherstorycircle.com. Please go online and register. We have hundreds of events happening from all over the world. We are looking for people who might be inspired to sponsor women in developing countries to come onto the platform. So we've created a scholarship program to make it accessible to those women whose stories will never be told. And thank you again for this amazing interview. It's been really nice hanging out with both of you tonight.
1: It's been very inspiring. Thank you so much, Gertrude. I think the, um, there are many indelible images you've left with us and um, those stories will hopefully live on through the few people who are listening. Uh, that's the beautiful thing about what you're doing. Thank you. Take care, thank you for talking to us.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Well, Gertrude, you took us on quite a journey there. 35 countries, amazing work you're doing with women, building the movement. It's exciting stuff. I applaud you and I thank you for doing what is really powerful and good work.
1: It's really neat to go you know, all the way to the level of
0: talking about existence and why are we here
1: and and so on and um it was it's always amazing in in a world filled with you know motivational speakers who learn a speech and you know speak one speech and that's their story and they stick to it and media training where you learn a spiel and you stick to it and you say the same thing to everybody uh it's so refreshing to to have someone like you tell their story and you know, bring us to the verge of tears uh, and enjoy, and all of that. So thank you for this, you know, very moving interview.
0: And so to all our listeners who wish to learn some of the skills that Gertrude showed, perhaps we could help. Um, maybe you could go to thoughtpartnergroup.com, fill out the swab free assessment. Let's see if there's some way that we can help you move forward. We'll respond very quickly.
1: You can also go a little bit wacky and stand on your head while juggling grapefruits. Uh, follow that instruction very carefully. Have string cheese uh, stuffed in your ear and go to crazymba.com.